As we encourage one another in that, we must encourage each other to that same standard. And that standard is the Word of God. And we must remember that strong stands meet strong opposition. Strong stands meet strong opposition. A consistent life with God will suffer the consequences. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize seize the the faith. faith. All right, so welcome back. And again, I, I can't express how grateful I am to be here. Um, this really is an honor for me to be here with you guys and meet meet new people, uh, but know that we're all in the Lord, and it's, it's pretty awesome to see God's family uh, across uh, our great land. And so, uh, as you recall, just a few minutes ago, we went over how God has a mission for your life, and we looked at Nehemiah. And God has brought you through everything you have ever been through in your life to this moment, right? We believe that. And it's for a purpose. Everything you've been through, no matter how hard it was, no matter what it was, God has brought you through that for a purpose. And so now we must take responsibility, take hold, take ownership of that mission that God has for our lives. And we broke down some basic elements, and this is just a quick review. We talked about we had to care for the mission, pray. Repent, be humble, we saw, take ownership, take responsibility, and get others involved. We looked at the parable of the talents and how God expects us. This isn't just Nehemiah. God expects us to use what he's given us for his kingdom, right? And we looked at the servant who didn't do that. He tried to blame God when in reality God saw right through it. He was wicked and lazy. And we don't want that to be said of us. And so what I want you to do is, that, like I said, you have to have pen and paper. So this is your time to rustle around, get that pen and paper, or your phone, or whatever it is. And I'm going to give you two minutes. I'm going to time it. Actually, a minute, because you don't need two minutes. I've deemed it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I want you to physically write down what you feel that mission is. Think about it for a little bit. What is the mission God has for your life? All right, your minute's up. So if you haven't written it down yet, you can still be writing what I'm talking. And obviously there are more missions in our lives than just one, right? We got our ministry, our vocation, we got uh, our family. We have all these different avenues which we need to take leadership. We need to be valorous in these different avenues. But now now that you've written something down, it doesn't have to be perfect. This is just what you're thinking, right? This is what God has for me. This is just what you're thinking. And, And now you've written that down, you might say it's clear. Maybe you're not saying it's so clear. Maybe you're at the point where, like, I've known what it is. I just needed the, the, the word to challenge me on this. And maybe you've planned out a few steps, right? You've said, okay, this is the mission God has for me. How am I going to get this accomplished? What are a couple steps? But the question is, how are you going to see long-term success in that mission God has for you? When we take ownership, it's not just for a moment. It's through the duration of that mission through the duration of your stay here. Whatever God has you responsible for, however long you're there, however long you're on this earth, it's a long-term process. It's the moment of truth, right? So we're about to go into a moment of truth. How many of us have ever started something really good and never finished it? All of us. Okay, I'm in good company. I was a little scared, but I was the only one, right? So... So all of us have started something good. And the classic Christian example, since I'm gonna, since the majority of us, at least in this room, I'm going to assume that we're Christians in this room, is reading the Bible in a year. How many of us have said, I am going to read the Bible in a year? Okay. Some of us, it's every year. And a lot of Christians, they go through Genesis, and they're like, I got through it. They hit Exodus. Pretty much when they hit numbers in, in, you know, in Leviticus and these Leviticus numbers, Deuteronomy, they're like, that's where it stops, <laughs> right? Because anyone can get the judges. There's some cool stories in judges. But they're going to get through it. Sometimes they're like, I'm just going to skip Leviticus and I'm going to get back to it later. I'm going to go back to that one over there, right? But they don't finish. They start and they don't finish. Here's another example. How many of us have said, I want to lose some weight? (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. So when I was in the Army, especially on deployment, I was in probably the best shape of my life, right? I was running super fast, lifting super hard. I really had nothing else to do. Then I got back from deployment. I was still doing PT with the Army. It was the Army, they make you work out every day. I'm still doing working out, but I'm not as hard. I'm like, I just got back. I take it easy a little bit, you know. Then I got out of the Army, and I still worked out every day when I lived up in Watertown, but it wasn't as hard. You know, I'm keeping in shape. Got to keep in shape in case Canada's tires get a little frisky, you know, because I'm right on the border there, right? Then I moved to Niagara Falls, and I was like, well, I'll work out three times a week, and then we all see what happened, <laughs> right? So I stopped being consistent. And so I have started losing some weight again. I've gotten back in the gym. Justin confronted me. He drove all the way up to Niagara Falls to confront me when I was on his way to Canada and said, you are a fat. And I, you know, it was the most motivating thing. I cried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So as we look at this next character in our study of Vignettes of Valor, we're going to focus on Daniel. And as I said, as a soldier, I do love the soldiers of the Bible. Alex was just telling me, I really expected you to do David, right? And I do love David. You know, I love, I love the soldiers of the Bible, David, Joshua, all these guys that are just, they, they fuel, they put, they, put some, you know, they put some steel inside you. But I chose two politicians to focus on, right? People I don't like um, necessarily. But... With Daniel, well, just turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And so, Daniel, what we need to know right now when we hop into Daniel chapter chapter 6, is throughout his time of exile, he has been excelling at everything he does. Everything Daniel touches, it becomes gold. Right? He has taken ownership of the mission God has for him, and he's found himself thrust into a foreign land, but he takes advantage of every single situation that he touches. And as we go, as we're going to go into the story of Daniel, like I said, we're going to, I just want to tell you that for a little context, we're going to hop in kind of like the middle of the story, towards the end, in Daniel chapter 6, and we're starting verses 1 through 3. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it seemed good to King Darius that he set 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. And these satraps might be accountable to them. So it's, you know, chain of command, right? And that king, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because of an extraordinary spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. So, pretty simple. Top three guys in the kingdom, Daniel's excelling, right? Now, translation to what's really going on here in the king's mind, I want someone to run the kingdom while I go play golf. <laughs> so, Daniel, you're pretty good. I'm going to set you above it all. That doesn't mean Daniel's not in a good spot, though. This is a spot of power. This is a highly coveted place. And one thing we see of the old saints of the Old Testament, Joseph, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Daniel, everything prospers around them wherever they're at. When they go somewhere, everything becomes better. As they follow God, the people of the workplace, and the workplace excels. And though this is not the main point of what we're going to talk about here, my question is, is that said of you? When you're a part of something, to pick on Justin again, is UPS excelling? Because Justin's there. Jesse, is the hospital you're at excelling because Jesse's there? Is the Niagara Gospel Mission excelling or the 2nd Battalion, 22nd Infantry Regiment that I was in, was it excelling because I was there? And wherever you are, right, are you striving after God so hard that the entire place around you starts to excel? That's pretty awesome, right? And I hope that can be said about me and I hope that can be said about you. But another thing about being in these positions, especially when you're on top, is there's always someone trying to drag you down, right? There's always someone trying to knock you off the pedestal. 
And usually when they knock you off the pedestal and they get your job, they realize how much paperwork's involved with that job and they want to give it back, <laughs> right? Typically what happens. But it's good to want to succeed, but not at the cost of sin. It's good to want to be on top. It's good to be in that position. But is it for yourself? Is it for pride? Is it for arrogance? Is it for ego? Are you coveting? Are you greedy? Not at the cost of sin. And so they start to come after Daniel. And in verse 4, it says this, And the commissioners and the satraps began to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the matters of the kingdom. They're out to get him. They're out to get him. Second half of verse 4. But they were not able to find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was found in him. Daniel was so diligent, you couldn't find anything on this guy. And let's all be honest, isn't it frustrating when you meet a guy like that? <laughs> right? You're like, this guy's got to have some dirt somewhere in a closet, right? And, you, and you're looking for the dirt, and you just can't find it. That's Daniel. Everything he does is excelling. They go into the laws. They go into the customs of the time. They can't find anything on Daniel. They're trying to pull him down. So here's the enemy's plan, right? Their, their plan's in verse 5. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel. That's a pretty bold statement. We're not going to find it. Unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So here's their plan. And it's kind of genius when you think about it. They're going to trip him up because he's following God. They're like, that's the only way we're going to get him. Right? So they come up with this plan. They're going to play on the pride of the king. And they're going to make it so that way you can't pray or petition to anyone but the king during this period of time. And the king, of course, buys into it because they tell him how awesome he is. <laughs> right? They, apply, pray, they go into his pride. So now the king writes it down and everyone starts to smile. They know they're going to get Daniel. And in verse 10, so the decree comes down. In verse 10 we read this. Now when Daniel knew that <clears throat> the written document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he, had a, he opened his windows towards Jerusalem and he kneeled down on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God. This is that valorous moment, right? Here's that moment. The government tells Daniel to do something that's against his conscience and Daniel says, screw you. He decides to do it anyways, right? He opens his window and prays even louder. Daniel sees the decree and he goes on Facebook to tell the kingdom that the king is wrong. Right? And he knows it might cost him his blue check mark. Right? It's going to cost him his status. But he's doing it. I mean, he's wrapping himself in an American flag with his AR-15 taking a selfie saying, come take my right to pray. Right? It's him taking charge in the moment. The moment's hot. He takes charge. Actually, let's read the verse again. Now, when Daniel knew that it was written, the document was signed, he entered the house... Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, giving thanks before his God. And what did we leave off? As he had been doing previously. It's a big shift. What do we add? As he has been doing previously. Or some translations say, as he had always done. You see, Daniel didn't just rise to the occasion for a moment of valor. Daniel had a consistent life of godliness. A consistent life of godliness, not just one moment of valor. You want to live a life of valor? You want to own the mission God has for your life? You can't just do it for the moment. You can't just do it when you walk out these doors. You can't just do it while you're here. You have to be consistent. And it's, it's really good to do that one good thing, but if the rest of it's crap, what does it matter? A soldier can get a valorous reward in combat like the Medal of Honor, but the deployment doesn't stop. We see the movie, he gets the Medal of Honor, you know, he gets to go home, he's with his family because it cuts the scene, right? Nope. Eight more months of deployment, baby. You look at David Bellavia, he's, uh, I believe he's the only, if not one of the only, living recipients of the Medal of Honor from the war in Iraq. He's a Buffalo native, he has a radio show, 
great guy. And he goes through this thing. If you ever want to read a citation, it's absolutely wild. He wrote a book called House to House, and he basically kills this guy with a Gerber. And as he's stabbing this dude with a Gerber, which is like, you know, a utility, you know, the small little utility knife, as he's stabbing this dude, as he's smashing his helmet on this guy, the guy's biting down on his nutsack the entire time. This is like a real struggle. This is life or death, right? Hand-to-hand combat. He's jumping off a roof, shooting people. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Absol- no one believed him, but it got caught on film, <laughs> part of it. And it's, it's absolutely insane what he went through. But you read the end of his book, House to House, and he says, after he got out of the house, he smokes a cigarette, they pack his, his junk with gauze, and guess what he does? He goes to the next house. It's not in the citation. Not in any of the citations what these guys did after the valorous moment. They continued on the deployment. Guys who have gotten the Medal of Honor, I can't think of the guy's name now. I should have written it down. But he, he got it. He got the Medal of Honor. He was a Marine in World War II. Became a real popular guy. They sent him back. He went to all these parties. He was the hero of World War II. He was a Marine. But then when they went to invade Iwo Jima, guess what? He went back and he died. Because that one moment of valor does not make you invincible. This month, my wife and I will be married for seven years. Who's the longest person married in here? How long have you been married? John? 40? 40? 57, right? 57 years. Right? First hand of applause, right? 57? Yeah, yeah, for the wife, yeah. 57 years of marriage. If tomorrow you went and got a hooker in Philadelphia, if tomorrow you went and got to Philadelphia and got a hooker, right, or a prostitute, that doesn't matter how valorous you were in those 50 years, right? Yeah, it ain't going to happen, right? Yeah, we're not advising this, right? No, but that consistency, that consistent life, that one act, right, that one moment of non-valor, that manish activity, as we learned, derails the entire consistency. And you know what? No one cares at that point how long you have been faithful to your wife. They just know you as the cheater, right? That'd be my, my reality. If anyone's been in that reality, that's the reality. You know you've lived it. Consistency. Consistency is valor. And so as Christians, we're not interested in being a man of valor for one event. We want lives that consistently reflect the image of Christ. We want to live lives that consistently follow God. And so we are going to look at Daniel from the beginning. And we are going to see that a consistent life of godliness has a strong commitment. It inspires others. It has a consistent standard. And it suffers the consequences. Strong commitment. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. And Babylon invades Judah, and so they take some people back as as exiled slaves. Daniel's one of them, and he's put in front of the king's palace. He's a good-looking dude. He's smart. So the king wants to evaluate if this is someone he wants in. And so they say, this is a guy. So what's the first step? First step is indoctrination. So they sent him to the Glassboro public school system to ensure that he could be a good servant of the state. I told you I was going to pick on you. No. (laughs) Just kidding. Same could be said about Niagara Falls. Trust me. So, they send him to Indoc, right? It's indoctrination. He's new to the kingdom. He needs to know what's going on. So he goes into that public system. Here's a first look at Daniel. And the first thing that we point out about Daniel is of his consistent life of godliness is he starts with a strong commitment. He's not starting off with a bang like my New Year's resolution, right? That I know is going to fade by April. But I'm going to do it anyways because everyone else does it, right? No, that's not him. It's a strong commitment. This is a foundation. This is a I resolve moment. I resolve to do this. And starting in verse 5 of Daniel chapter 1, it says this, The king appointed for them daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they would stand before the king. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, excuse me, Mishael, and Ezra. Then the commander of the officials set names for them, 
And for Daniel, it was Belshazzar. For Hananiah, it was Shadrach. For Mishael, it was Meshach. And Azariah, it was Abednego. But Daniel set in his heart. I love that. Daniel set in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. What's God's response? Now God granted Daniel loving kindness and compassion before the commander of the officials. Daniel's first test. If modern Christianity was thrust into the situation, you would hear things like this. Let's be all things to all people. Let's be as much like Babylon as we can to reach Babylon. There's no one culture better than the other. Haven't we heard all these things? No. Daniel has no desire to be a Babylonian. He's a covenant child of God. So he sets in his heart. Right? I love that. Sets in his heart. He chooses to start strong. Strong commitment. And he chooses to stick with what's right. And when you're a new Christian, it's hard to figure out what's right and wrong. Right? You get saved. And you're like, this is awesome. I'm a child of God. I'm loving this. I've been given a Bible. It's a lot of pages. <laughs> right? I don't know what's in there yet, but I'm going to figure it out. And you start to live that life. You start to go on that path. And as you start to learn things, you start to apply them to your life. You stick to what you know is right. And you must stick to it. When we get guys at the Niagara Gospel Mission who get saved, we want them to have a strong start and in their walk. And we counsel them through their choices, right? We get to have this little incubator moment where we can counsel them and train them through their choices to have a Christian worldview going further. When you've lived a life of drugs, homelessness, it's not always easy to break these things, right? It's not always easy to break these addictions, but it's necessary. And if you are new to Christ, today make the choice to be like Daniel. Choose not to defile yourself anymore. As some people say, dare to be like Daniel, right? I've heard that before. And those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time now, have we stayed consistent to that strong commitment we made? Have you been continually in your walk? Or are you only walking on Sundays? Is it a whole week? Is it your whole life? Is it every hour? Every minute? Or is it the Lord's hour? And that's all he gets. And I go turn on the bills, right? I'm a huge bills fan. I go turn on the bills. What is it? Are you progressing your faith? Are you putting sin to death? But it's a struggle. I know I can go through my life and sometimes it does go off the rails, right? And, and just to have you a little, in, in my head, you know, there are some times that I can't sleep at night because of dreams I have, right? And so you go a few days in a row where you can't sleep. We're not really resting, right? And the VA just wants to throw pills at you, <laughs> which isn't going to help. But you start to get really tired and then temptation comes. And now the fight is three times harder. We've all been there. That's not, I know that's not special to me. We get tired, we get busy, and that's when the temptation starts creeping at our door. That's when we don't want to fight. But the question is, are you fighting? Because that's what counts. Are you fighting? And I fail more times than I would like. And I, I think the wrong things. I use the wrong language sometimes. I... I fill up with lust and pride. I get angry and I sin. All sorts of evil. And if you knew my head, right? And I, we all would say this. If you knew our heads, right? You wouldn't want to be our friends, <laughs> right? If you could see what I was thinking, you probably wouldn't want me preaching up here sometimes. And that's that process of sanctification we're going through. That's that consistent life. But I press on because for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day I die or Christ returns, that is happening. That's a process. That's Philippians 1.6. So it's good to struggle as long as you're fighting. And when we give up the fight, that's when you should be alarmed. When you're okay with your failures and your sins, that's when the alarm bell should start going off. 
And we see here in these verses that God blesses Daniel's stand. Verse 9, now God granted Daniel loving kindness and compassion with the commanders and the officials. Daniel and the gang outperformed everyone else, is what we read, because God was with them. They remained faithful to him, and he remained faithful to them. And so, if we are to live consistent lives of godliness, we must start with a strong commitment. We must set it in our hearts, right? That's what it says about Daniel. And secondly, that we must remember that our consistent life inspires others. It inspires others. When you watch, and we kind of talked about this yesterday with, when we went through that list of movies, right? When you watch a moment of valor, you get pumped up to do a moment of valor. Well, that's the same thing we see here. So in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of the coming of Christ's kingdom, a kingdom that will crush all the kingdoms of the earth and spread like a mountain that covers the entire earth, a kingdom that we are living in, and I believe now, as we advance His glorious love throughout the earth. In the verses 37 to 38, Daniel starts to interpret this dream, right? The actual dream is he sees this massive statue, one part's gold, one part's silver, one part's bronze, and the other part's iron and clay. And it says, you, O king, this is what Daniel's saying, this is uh, chapter 2, verses 37 to 38, you, O king, are the king of kings, whom, God, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, and the power, and the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men inhabit, or the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has made you rule over them, excuse me, rule, power, over them all. You are the head of gold. So he interprets what part Babylon was. Nebuchadnezzar, the heart of gold. Well, he does continue to go on interpreting this dream, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't hear anything else. You are the head of gold. He says, you're darn right I am. <laughs> right? That's what he hears. So instead of humbling himself, what he does is he takes that image that he saw, and he says, I'm not just the head of gold, baby. I'm all gold. And he makes the whole image gold. And he resurrects this so that everyone in the kingdom, when the music plays, has to bow to it. So he forgot about that part about the stone coming and crushing and growing like a mountain that was the flow of the earth. He forgot about that whole part where there's other kingdoms that are coming over him. He says, no, baby, we're gold here. This is the gold standard, right? And we can have confidence that David, or Daniel's not actually in this scene, right? Most commentators think he was away on some business. He had been promoted. You read at the end of chapter 1, he gets promoted. And so they think he was away on business, which is why he wasn't here for this. So chapter 3, so you should only have to flip like a page or two. We're going to start at verse 8. Chapter 3, starting in verse 8. For this reason, at the time certain Chaldeans came near and brought charges against the Jews, they answered and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You're awesome. You're great. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and flute, lyre, trigon, psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. We call these guys snitches, right? <laughs> That's what we call these guys. Yeah, so... But whosoever does not fall in worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now there are certain Jews who you have appointed over the administration in the province of Babylon. Can you just smell the, 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 the covetousness there? <laughs> the, the, they, they are jealous, right? There are certain people that we don't know who you appointed over all this stuff and in case you, that wasn't subtle enough, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <laughs> right? I'm just going to tell you who they are. <laughs> These men, O king, do not pay attention to you. They do not serve your gods and do not worship the golden image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and wrath, said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men were <clears throat> brought you before. Then these men brought you before the king. Or excuse me, he said, bring Shadrach, Meshach, and go, and they were brought before the king. So we see here Daniel's boys, right? Not Daniel, Daniel's boys, his buddies. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. 
This enraged Nebuchadnezzar, and he gives them another chance to do so, but they will not. And instead, this is how they respond. This is my favorite verse in the Old Testament, section of verses in the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to respond to you. (laughs) We don't need to talk to you (laughs) with an answer concerning this matter. This isn't even a thought in our heads. If it be so, our king whom we serve is able to save us from the firing, blazing furnace. Remember how God named him king of kings? He's naming Nebuchadnezzar that in this interpretation of the dream. And they just said, if it be so, the king who we serve, our God, they're not, they're not concerned. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will save us out of your hand, O king. And this is it right here. This is the kicker. But if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and will not worship the golden image you have set up. So one of you guys was wearing that hoodie yesterday that had that verse on it, right? We are not going to do it. I do not care. Cast me in the fire. And most of us know the rest of that story. That's exactly what happens to them. Cast in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person in there. They come out. There's no burn. It doesn't even smell like burning on their clothes. Nebuchadnezzar says this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and has saved his servants who put their trust in him. Violating the king's words. Not listening to me, is what he's saying. And gave up their bodies so as to not serve and not to worship any god except their own god. That's valor. That's valor. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with the consistent life of Daniel? Well, as we know from chapter 1, these guys are always with Daniel. Daniel's the ringleader. And Daniel's gone. And we've all been at a work situation that when the boss is away, right? When the cat's away, the mice will play, right? The boss leaves, everyone screws around, right? Daniel's the boss of these guys, in a sense, right? Well, when he leaves... That consistent life of godliness that he is living and he brings others to live with him propels them to stay faithful, to stay consistent. Even when Daniel's not there, they stood firm in the face of death. My question is, are you finding others to live that life with you? Are you bringing others around you? Are you in a local church? And I assume we are, right? I'm going to assume that more than just being in a local church, are you bounding together to live this consistent, valorous life? We need to bond together to push each other towards a consistent life of godliness. You have an older man who's pouring into you. I know I do. Do you have younger men in the faith, we're not just talking about age, younger men in the faith who you're pushing? Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12 through says this, Two are better than one because they have good wages for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls where there is no, there is not a second one there to lift him up. Further, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? If one can overpower him who is alone, two can stand against him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need other people. We need others. This is not a Lone Ranger event. So we have seen in this consistent life of godliness starts with a strong commitment. And you must have a resolve. You must set it in your heart to live for God, to commit to God, to not be defiled by the world around us. And as we live out that commitment, we need to bring others around us, right? We need to bring others into us. Our consistency will inspire others to walk together. And if we don't have that consistency, find the one who does, so that way he may inspire you. We need each other to live that consistent life. Amen? We need each other. Christianity is not meant to be done alone. But we also see, and we're going to look at now, that a consistent life for God has a consistent standard. It has a consistent standard. So turn back to chapter 6 with me.
Resolving in yourself to live a godly life is a good thing. Finding others around you to push you towards that is a great thing. But who defines what a godly life is? What is that? How do you know whom to have around you for that direction, right? How do you even know the people to find? You need to have a standard. And we're going to go back to what the enemies of Daniel do in verse 5. Because like I said before, this is very, to me this is kind of fascinating. Verse 5. Then these men said, We will not find any grounds of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. They investigated Daniel, Daniel's conduct. Uh, they investigated his conduct. They investigate him. They couldn't find anything to put on him, right? They even looked over the laws of their land. They could not find anything on this guy. Today, they would have looked at his Twitter history, right? Or they would have looked at a note that he wrote to his girlfriend in high school. They'd be looking for anything, <laughs> right? Anything they could get on this guy. But Daniel lived such a consistent life, they couldn't pin him. So, they decided to use Daniel's consistent life against him. They said, this guy's going to live such a consistent life, we'll use that against him. They knew that they could trap him if he, they could find a way to get him to contradict God's law. Why? Because it was because they thought he would go against God's law? No, it's because they knew he'd follow it. That's why they did it. And so, my question to you is, is that the way we live our life? So close to God, following His words so closely that someone says, I want to take John Cooper down. The only way I'm going to do it is if I find a way to make him follow God and trap him that way. That's what I want. That's not where I'm at, to be completely honest with you. right? I don't think any of us are there yet. That's where I want to be. Such a consistent life that they can't find anything. We would call it, in the New Testament, a man above reproach, right? They hear the way he talks, they're around him. You can't find anything on this guy because he lives such a life of godliness. That is the godly life. And that should be a life we should all aspire to have. And if we're in the Word of God, we'll know what that life looks like. But not only that, the people in the world know that we have that commitment. How many of our coworkers know that we live by the book? We're men of the book. Do they know? For me, it's easy. I, I work at a ministry, right? So someone's like, where do you work? It's the Niagara Gospel Mission. There's really no hiding it, <laughs> right? Now we're to figure that one out. You know, when I was in the Army, the people know that I live my life by the book. Psalm 119, 9 through 16 says this, But how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all his heart I have sought you. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have recounted all the judgments of your mouth. And I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as, mi <clears throat> as much as in all riches. I will muse upon your precepts and upon your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I shall never forget your word. Wow. Later in Psalm 119 it says, The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Such a life in the Word of God it keeps us consistent because it is the standard in which we strive to. The Word of God is the standard for all life and godliness. It is sufficient for all things. And, and when we work, for us, when we work with addicts, that's our battle cry when, when counseling them. It's the Word of God. It's, it's the truth. It's not drugs. It's not pills that are going to bring you more conforming to Christ. I heard it said at one time, and this kind of just blew me away when I heard this uh, from a guy in our area. He said psychotropic drugs, so the drugs they give you when you have what's called a mental health issue is what we would call, he said that is the world's way of producing the fruits of the Spirit. You want joy? 
You want joy? Take this pill. You want to be content? Smoke that joint. You want love? Take Viagra. That's what the world says. That's the world's answer. But we know that the truth is the answer, right? The truth. God's word. Not the culture. Not psychology. Not the government. Not Fox News. Not the Daily Wire. Not you fill in the blank. It is the word of God that guides us. 2 Timothy 3, 12-17, a lot of you may know this verse. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things you learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation." Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Verse 12 is that transition to this next point. And as we make strong commitments to God, as we bind together, as we're following that one standard, as Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, let us consider how to stimulate one another, to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembly, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. Man, encouraging one another. Because point four, a consistent life of godliness suffers the consequences. As we encourage one another, in that we must encourage each other to that same standard. And that standard is the Word of God. And we must remember that strong stands meet strong opposition. Strong stands meet strong opposition. A consistent life with God will suffer the consequences. Daniel was really thrown in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were really thrown into a fiery furnace. And yes, God miraculously saved them from the lions, from the flames. But how many countless saints have been thrown to those lions in those Colosseums? And they said, like in Daniel 3.18, but if God doesn't save us? How many people are being murdered today for their faith? And they're saying, but if God doesn't save us, we will not bow to your gods. We will serve the one Lord. That is a consistent life. And we have to ask, is God the same faithful and loving God if He doesn't save them from the lion's den? Is He still all-powerful if these things happen to His covenant people? And the answer obviously is yes. Paul here spells it out. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And as we follow the Lord, we must be ready for persecution and we must be ready to suffer for the name of Christ. And with James, the brother of our Lord, we can say this, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith brings about perseverance. And perseverance have its perfect worth, worth work, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And as we've looked at an example of Daniel, an example of a consistent life of godliness, a life we aspire to be, is there no better example than our Lord? Of a consistent life? So I want you to turn to Philippians 2. Now, this whole time I've been speaking, I've been reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible. This is my preaching Bible. And I don't know what your translation is. What I want us to do is I want us to stand together and read this together. So once you get there, stand up.
It's going to sound a little mumbo-jumbo because we got different translations. But I want us to read verses 5 through 18 together in unison. All right. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed him on the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is the God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to boast, because I did not run vain nor in labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share with your joy in me. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you. You may take a seat. We want to finish well. Amen? We want to finish well. We want to say with Paul that we did not labor in vain. And when suffering comes, we can say with him, I'm being poured out as a drink offering for your faith. Right? That's what we want. And how many people have we seen who have turned away from the faith that we looked up to? And they did it for the pleasures of the world. And we thought they were going to live that lifetime of godliness for us. We looked to them. And they turned away. Let us all beg and plead with God that we may run this race with consistency and endurance. Because it is only through his Holy Spirit that we can do it. As the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I don't know about you, but I'm confident that when that day comes, I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I need God every second of the day. I, yeah, I am not deserving of that glory. But I'm sold out for it. I will fight for it. I will die for it. And that's not because of me. That's not because of anyone that's in this room. That's because we serve a great God that we just read about. And so in the beginning, I had you write down what is the mission God has for you? And I want to encourage you if, you, if you can't think of what that is, to continue to search that out. What does God have for you in your ministry, in your vocation, in your family? What is that mission? In the military, we have something called commander's intent. I think I've mentioned it a few times. Commander's intent is the overall mission, right? It's a short a paraphrase of what the mission is that we're trying to accomplish, and everyone's missions fall into that intent. Well, that is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's the commander's intent for our lives. That mission may be rebuilding an effort in Jerusalem, right? Rebuilding the wall. Or it may be building that one piece of the wall. I don't know what your mission is. I don't know what ministries, vocations, but I can tell you this, every single one of them is important to God. Every one of them. And he expects you to take ownership of it. Most of us here have a family, leading our wives and children well. And as we talked about in the last session, we will take an account before the Lord on how we did that. That's a mission. Your family is a mission. 
And as we take ownership of these three spheres, right, ministry, job, family, that God has us, we need to remember to be consistent. We can't just stand here and say, well, I'm going to take ownership. This conference was great. I love it. I'm going to take responsibility. Go home and not do anything. Can't happen. We must not get lazy in the pursuit of holiness. We must not get lazy. Complacency will get in the way. Proverbs 1, 32, For the turning of the way of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. When I was in Afghanistan, we had a big sign that I made in our QRF room. It said, complacency kills. Complacency kills. And every day you walked in and out, you saw that. And I told my soldiers, the day you don't train, you got weaker, you gave it easier, you made it easier for the enemy to kill you. The enemy thanks you for not giving your 100% today. Taliban Tim is now better than you. Those are the things I would say to my soldiers, right? And on the battlefield. Well, the same applies to us now. Same applies to that mission we have. We must be consistent. We cannot be complacent. You need discipline. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 25.28 A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's like the southern border. (laughs) If you want to live a consistent life for the Lord and own the mission he has for you, you must put away laziness because what happened to the lazy servant? He was cast away in the utter darkness. Put away laziness and pursue God with everything you got. Own that mission he has for you. Jonathan Edwards, uh, amazing man of God that he used mightily in this country, he had resolutions, right? And he would read them every week. And number five in those resolutions is this. Number five, resolved. I love how he starts them. Number five, resolved. Not even a second thought, resolved. Never lose one moment of time but improve it to the most profitable way I possibly can. We don't have time to waste. What do you hear at every funeral? Life is but a vapor. Every funeral, that verse is said. What are you doing in the vapor? There's a mission to own, a kingdom to advance. We cannot waste time doing frivolous things like surfing the web and playing video games. Can't afford it. We must resolve to be disciplined, consistent in our mission. Who here wants to go to hell? No one? Okay, good. (laughs) Right? Because then we're going to have a different conversation. Right? But notice the eeriness that got silent when I said that. There are people going to hell outside of our doors. What are we doing in this vapor? I don't care if you're in the beginning or the end. You have a mission to pursue. One of the things I loved about deployment was there were no distractions. It was just you and the mission. Everything was about killing the enemy. How do we become more effective? Everything. Everything was about that. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else entered my mind. So just a few more verses on this. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Slothful still works, right? But it's forced labor. It's slavery. The diligent rule. Ecclesiastes 9, 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there, will, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol which you are going. Once you're dead, there's no more. And so, one thing that we, we stink at, one thing I've noticed, when I got out of the military, we planned to a fault. Everything was planned. When you're going to pee, when, you know, everything. Everything was planned. Stupid, we thought. Until I got out and I realized how bad the majority of the world is at planning. <laughs> we stink at planning. The majority of us. So what I want you to do, and we're not going to do it now, but what I want you to do is I want you to take that mission that God has for you, that you wrote down, 
I want you to plan the next 10 steps of how that's going to happen. Just write down the next 10 things. What are the 10 things I have to do to get this done? The first 10, right? Because what's going to happen is you're going to get to number six and something's going to change. You're going to have to make a little adjustment, right? But you're going to keep on that mission, which falls under the commander's intent, which is the Great Commission, right? And you're going to press forward in that. And what you're going to do is you're going to continually check up on where you're at. How consistent am I being? Every week you're going to go back, where am I? Am I evaluating? How am I doing this mission? Because if we don't plan, men, it's not going to happen. Justin was making fun of me the other day. I don't remember anything unless it gets written down, <laughs> right? And then it goes in my back pocket, and then later when I'm like, there's something in my pants, and I pull out the piece of paper, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to do that, right? If we don't plan, it's not going to happen. And the way we're consistent is we have it written down. We have the steps to accomplish it. And after steps 10, start adding to those steps, right? Start with family worship. How am I leading my family? If you don't have a plan, talk to your pastors. How can I lead my family? Be humble. Be humble enough to say, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. It's a good place to start because <laughs> that's where we all start. And we learn, and we get better, we become consistent. So there's a mission that God has for you, own it. And don't just own it now, own it until it's done. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful as I preach this that I'm really preaching to myself. You know how much sin and darkness is in all our hearts. And the fact that you'd want to use us is extremely humbling, Lord. Lord, help us to own the mission you have for us. It is too big for us. We need you to own it. We need your Holy Spirit to work through us. Help us to be men of valor. And not just for a valorous moment, but for a valorous life a life that continually pursues you. And Lord, these men want to do that or they wouldn't be here. So strengthen us. God, I want to see every single one of these brothers in heaven. Every one of them. And I'm confident that that's the case. But help us to, to finish strong. Help us to meet death with a smile knowing that we've done all we can for you, sold out for you. In your name we pray, amen.